Hello and welcome to We Came From The 80s, the podcast where we talk about movies we thought were cool. I'm Farron. And I'm joined here today by Remy. Oh, sorry, I was just making fist knuckles with my toes. Oh, okay. Thought you were about to say, yippee ki motherfucker. That's disappointing. <laughs> if you hadn't guessed, we're doing Die Art, which premiered on the 20th of July, 1988, and was directed by John McTiernan. Uh, you may know him from Predator and Hunt for Red October. Uh, he did 13th Warrior. Uh, you remember that one with uh, Antonio Banderas? I don't think I've seen that. No. It's a good movie about a, a guy from Iraq who travels to uh, Northern Europe with a bunch of Vikings. It's very cool. Called 13th Warrior? 13th Warrior. It's based off of a novel by Michael Crichton, the guy who did Jurassic Oh, good, yeah. yeah. Called Eaters of the Dead. I've never read the book, but it's a really good movie. And he also did Basic with Samuel L. Jackson. Oh, yeah. And John Travolta. That yeah. was, it was actually that was his, a pretty slick movie. It was, movie. it was. Yeah. It was. Yeah, uh, it was actually his last movie. Oh, really? 2003. Oh, cool. Yeah, I don't know why this guy gave up on movies because, man, he was good. Like, this was only his third movie. He did this movie called Nomad, which I'd never heard of with um, Pierce Bronson, which I watched. It's really good. We're definitely going to do that at some point. Then he did Predator, which was, I mean, he knocked that one out of the park. And then he did this. And then he did Hunt for Red October. Oh, so a couple known movies. A couple known movies. But then he did Medicine Man, followed by The Last Action Hero. So Went out with a bang. Or, or sort of, but then uh, he got back into it. He died, did Die Hard with a Vengeance, which I'm told is good. Never I thought it. it was good out of the three. As a as a third movie, I thought it was quite good. At some point, I'm going to have to watch it. It's funny, as we talked about this, was it when we did Temple of Doom, I think? We were talking about the Die Hard films. Yeah. And you guys said, neither of you like number two, and I really loved it. So when I got ready to do this one, I thought, oh, well, I'm going to show them. I'm going to watch Die Hard 2 again. And it kind of sucks. Yeah, and I don't dislike it. I probably watched Die Hard yeah. 2 before this one. Point. Yeah. Um, and I don't dislike it it's a movie i would put on if it was on a movie channel but die hard 2 is a good movie it's just die hard 1 at in an airport, airport. yeah we have again die hard so, with a vengeance is die hard in the streets of new york uh, a little yeah. different they did a different twist on it and that's kind of i think why i liked it they sort of renewed my faith in the in the series so you know, it's funny that some hollywood producer once joked that everyone wants to do die hard in a whatever die hard in a plane die hard in a train and he says i'm waiting for some asshole to come to me and say i want to do die hard but in a building yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's you know because that, that's how the, everyone pitches movies. Well, it's this meets this, so Die Hard in a whatever. And it's like oh, okay, yeah. No, D- Die Hard Two didn't was it wasn't nearly as good as I remembered. I guess probably I liked it as a kid because I was it was the t- it came out at the time I was thinking of joining the army. But Die Hard One. So you f- you figure you saw it probably VHS. Oh yeah, it would be early nineties. I might have seen it on some movie channel or. TV rated without all the yippee Kaye brother or whatever they would have dubbed in there, but I forget what they. Someone told me it was like Mother Fluffer or something. Really, yeah, it, which they, there's yeah. some pretty bad dubs in movies like this. We gotta clear the snakes out of the cockpit. Yeah, yeah, clear the snakes out of the cockpit. Yeah. Enough is enough. I have had it with these monkey fighting snakes on this Monday to Friday plane. Then so probably would have seen it in that, but having two older brothers, I ended up watching a lot of. More action movies than maybe I should have at my age, but it would have been yeah early nineties, late eighties. Unless we discussed with Temple of Doom, yeah. Even only even watching just one was a pretty a pretty intense experience. And no, nobody spontaneously combusted in this movie being lowered. Yeah, no, yeah, no one, had, no one had their heart torn out of their chest in this one. No. But yeah, so uh, it was written by Robert. Uh, sorry, Roderick Thorpe. Uh, it's based on his novel Nothing Lasts Forever which is a sequel to another novel called The Detective, which was made into uh, a 68 film of the same name starring Frank Sinatra. 
So Sinatra as John McClane in that first one. That's I got to find that movie just to see. That's a weird one. Um, it was adapted for the screen by Jeb Stewart, though not the Civil War general. At least I assume not. <laughs> um, and Stephen E. D'Souza, who I, I'd never heard of before. Um, it stars Bruce Willis, Alan Rickman, and this is the movie that really made him. Bonnie Bedalia, who of course played Holly, uh, Holly Gennaro, the, the, the wife. Reginald Vell Johnson, I guess that's Al, the cop. Oh, yeah. 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 Alexander Gudinov, the noted uh, Russian ballet dancer. Yeah, and it was rated, shockingly, R. All the swears. The swears. And the 80s boobies. Yeah, there's two instances of 80s boobs. But yeah, once you see boobs, once you hear the word fuck, you're in R territory. Which I think whatever movie it was that first, uh, whichever diehard movie it was that first uh, went PG-13. I remember Gene Siskel and uh, Roger Ebert going, oh, come on! Because they couldn't say yippee Kaye, motherfucker. Because the minute you say fuck, it's restricted. Right. Yeah, so that would have probably been Die Hard with a Vengeance, I would assume. I don't know. Could be Live for Your Die Hard. They're not, neither of those are very gory. They're pretty action-packed. But Yeah, well, I mean, they realize the action movies, the kids go see them, so if they make them restricted, they're screwing themselves over. I mean, right. they're just figuring out again that it doesn't have to be that. I mean, look at Deadpool. Oh. That is an unabashedly R-rated film. Fantastic movie. It's a... I, I didn't mind it. I didn't mind <laughs> I don't think it's glorious, but they're good films. Yeah. They're very not, clever films. Yeah. Um, but that's a whole... It, it's sort of like modern action movies like we were talking about. I talked about John Wick. These are a whole generation later than this sort of... Like, this is an 80s action oh, film. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, totally an 80s action film. Um, so this movie was made for 28 million bucks. 28 million. 28 million. And it made 140.8 million. So it did a little better than the Big Trouble in Little China. Just, just a little better. <laughs> they have one of the same actors though, Al Leong. Remember we mentioned he's the guy who goes for the the beginning of this film. The guy who goes for the Butterfinger while waiting to ambush the cops. <laughs> yeah. He's uh, one of the, I think, one of the the red colored gang guys in Big Trouble. In Big Trouble, <laughs> but he gets killed by either the guy with the salad forks or the back scratchers. I'm not yeah. sure which. But. Or electricity head. Yeah, possibly. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure who got him, but uh, yeah, someone got him. So. When you saw this as a kid, you would have been how old, do you figure? Probably 10 to 12. 10 to 12. You liked yeah. it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've always liked this movie. So I've seen this movie many times. Yeah, me too. Yeah. So this, I, like, I'm probably over 20 times. And I, really? I, as recently as I've I've watched parts of this movie and most of the movie this year. Okay. It's, yeah, it's a fantastic. Uh, it's just, yeah, good childhood movie. And <laughs> that's what people I mean, yeah, the, people were executing each other in, in, in office buildings. Good, good childhood, childhood movie. Yeah. yeah. The, the best part is, Christmas movie. Yeah. Well, that's exactly it. It's a top Christmas movie. And, uh, you know, I see a lot of things that say, if you don't think this is a Christmas movie, there's something wrong with you. This is a Christmas movie. Well, just and they played it Christmas. I mean, and they played it a ton around Christmas, too. The irony is the movie premiered in July. Oh, yeah, so not a Christmas movie at yeah. all, but it is definitely one of my favorite Christmas movies. Right it's one of those things. Elf. Oh, so. God. Get out. Get out. <laughs> Actually, I've never seen Elf, but I don't like the actor who's in it. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's. I could not tell you for the life of me when I saw this film. Almost certainly on Super Channel or Rented. Right. Uh, I certainly didn't see it in the theaters. This is absolutely not the sort of film that my parents would have wanted to see. My father does not like violent movies. My mother certainly is not interested in violent films. So uh, this would have been on me to see. So I'm sure I rented it. My parents never had trouble uh, with me seeing ultraviolent films. Like when the Terminator came out in 84, I was nine. My, they'd heard things about that film. And so my parents said, like, are, are you sure you want to see this film? I was like, yeah. So they rented it for me. That was sort of the threshold of even are you sure? But look, 
you know, we've talked about this before. It was the 80s. Yes, we were raised with lawn darts, but somehow we survived. And a lot of that is our parents told us, this is real, this is not. Yeah. You know, it, I'm, I'm sure that's the way it worked in your family, too. Yeah, like, we, you understood. Yeah, and we didn't do a lot of um, theater movies. Like, this is... I, I'm try, I was just... While you were talking there, I was thinking... As a family, I actually don't remember going to the theater, and I would have to say, but I think my older brother took me to. It's going to be a toss-up between three movies that probably all came out around the same time, and that was Men in Tights, Jurassic Park, and uh, Cliffhanger. And Cliffhanger all is might, the 90s, yeah. might be the first movie I remember going to in theater was really? Cliffhanger, and, and when he drops the girl at the beginning was yeah. just an absolute shocker for me. Um, in theater, I don't know why. I mean, that that scene just stuck with me. Well, how old would you have been? Like, I think that's probably a 93 or 92 movie, yeah, so 12, less. 13, and I would have seen it in theaters. It's probably okay. the first yeah. theater movie. So a lot Actually, of these, I saw that one in theaters, too. I saw yeah. it with some high school friends. Yeah. So a lot of these movies, Top Gun, you know, the first time I ever saw Top Gun, it was on TV, and I recorded yeah. it on VHS, and I watched that VHS until I ran it pretty much into the ground, into yeah. the ground and then they bought me the actual movie, and I was <laughs> all shook up by the fact that all those swears were in it because they didn't have the swears in the... <laughs> In the TV show. So, um, but this one, it was, yeah, it would have been in, kind of in that same time frame. And just, uh, it is, I guess it's funny because it's a restricted mm-hmm. movie because of the swears and, and, and the it, boobs. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. As a kid, it just was the, how we were kind of raised and yeah. there was no. Well, one movie we, we talked about. training. Yeah. One movie we had talked about doing today was Vacation. And that movie shows on TV all the time. It's restricted. There's a lot of nudity and swearing oh. in that film. Uh, Ironically, not from the young, gorgeous model, Christy Brinkley, who they show, uh, <laughs> but from uh, the woman who plays his wife. She's topless several times in the film. But I, have, I like with you with, with Top Gun, I was so used to seeing it on television. I had forgotten all the swears. Like when they go into St. Louis and say, excuse me, can you tell me how to get back on the expressway? I had always remembered the black guy yelling at him, yo mama. But it's actually, fuck you, mama. Or fuck your mama, one or the other. I'm not sure which it is. <laughs> but they change stuff like that. And it's how you get used to the film. So for me, Vacation was the R film I didn't realize was R. Right. You know, and it's just... Well, and one thing for me in film too is when you watch it without the swears and you kind of get involved into it that way, you, you sort of realize that the swears aren't always necessary. Necessary, yeah. Now, yippee-ki-yay, mother-friendly mother yeah. guy or, or whatever they would or whatever it becomes, yeah. That, then it just gets... Stupid and corny. Yeah. Um, but that's such a, an iconic line when you play with it, everyone knows. Yeah. Yeah. You say yippee ki motherfucker. Everyone knows you're talking about. Uh, die, hard. die Hard. Yeah. John McClane. Action hero. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's iconic. I mean, this movie is one of the iconic 80s action films. And they chose the right actor for this. Like, imagine if this had been like Stallone or Schwarzenegger oh, or Dolph Lundgren or. I was, I was watching with a with the more involved eye this time and, mm. and i think the thing i like about it is bruce willis does such a good job of being that serious kind of dicky cop who yeah well he was on the show moonlighting at the same time where he played like a private eye or something so oh same, yeah same sort of yeah yeah and he you know I, I like the fact that he's not this dopey rocks falling on his head sort of cop like he's he's serious right from the first scene on the yeah. airplane he's I'm a cop. I'm a New He's York City hard, cop. Like you know what the term is? Hard boiled dick. Which sounds gross, but it's yeah. meaning detective. Yeah. Hard boiled detective. That's this guy is almost out of the 30s. You know the gumshoe sort of. Yeah. You know she with the you know the dame with the lips and you know like yeah, it's that you, kind of noir feeling. And, and the but good he does thing it well. is you can take him seriously. Yes. And, yes. I mean 
yippee motherfucker is kind of a cowboy line. They refer to him as cowboy in the movie, and, and he's he's kind of this lighthearted... Uh, I don't know, lighthearted is not the word, but he's he's kind of this loosey-goosey guy, mm-hmm. but he's serious, and you yeah. can tell he's a good cop and wants to put bad guys behind bars, and... Mm-hmm. and you but can, he also you can knows take when that seriously. Yeah, but he also he's not overly so. Like when he sees Alice, and the first thing he says to him is, "You missed a little." He's got cocaine yeah, on his nose. Yeah. He doesn't arrest him. He doesn't say, "I'm calling the cops." It's just like he's right. at a party, whatever. It's you know, and he just he, he establishes obviously this guy's a douchebag. Yeah. I deal with douchebags all the time. But it, but. Is, but it establishes for us that he's serious and he's very observant. Yeah. Not that I mean, look, they opened the door and the guy was snorting coke off the wife's desk. Yeah. So it's not like he didn't know. But yeah, he's. Yeah, he is a he is the right actor, and this was the right way to do it. I can almost I'm starting to understand why Sinatra was chosen for the previous movie of the same character. Yeah, right. You know, he's Sinatra's. I mean, Sinatra's. A, I never found that whole Rat Pack thing interesting. You know, Sinatra and Dean and and Sammy Davis Jr. and all those guys. They never really did it for me. But he is that sort of character from the, from the '60s. Right. Like if Bruce Willis had been around in the '60s, he would have. He could have played the role that Sinatra got. Right. Like, you know, he's got yeah. that sort of out of time quality to him. Well, and over his, his career, I mean, I, I think of Bruce Willis and it's always kind of, he's a bit of a type actor, like typecast, yeah. Like typecast actor. Like you think about, uh, even Armageddon or he's kind of the serious chip on his shoulder. Yeah. And, and the thing I like about Bruce Willis that I think he does really, really well. And I, I do challenge you to watch Die Hard with a Vengeance because <laughs> it starts to get and and even more so live free or die hard. Oh. He had he has this ability to deliver those one-liners yes. that coming from him it's like that it, it breaks up the mood a little bit. Yeah. It's it's not so it's not always serious. It yeah. makes it a little more fun. And uh you know in this movie there's there's a lot of that little stuff where yeah. you know now I have a machine gun, ho, ho, ho. And it's like, yeah. why did he do that? That's why he did that. That's because he's this guy who does yeah. have these one-liners that he's a bit of a arrogant, what do you call him? The the dick? The, the hard-boiled the hard-boiled dick. Hard-boiled yeah, dick. it's yeah, dick so. being an old, an old, again, an old euphemism for detective. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like a hard-boiled dick, if, if you think of um, Blade Runner. Yeah. When they redid, uh, like when they sort of, "Quote unquote," fixed it for the theatrical release. They had Harrison Ford do the narration to turn it into sort of a a film noir in the future, and then he comes off as again the hard boiled dick. But I and I, I'm one of the people who likes that version of it with the with the narration. And yeah, Bruce Willis he is able to pull it off, but he can't do comedy. No, remember they did that that disastrous film Hudson Hawk. Yeah, I, I never it. saw it, but yeah. Oh, you you have missed nothing, I assure you. It is an <laughs> awful film. But a lot of people, I mean, remember, I think it was Roger Ebert being exasperated, saying, like, he's playing the same character he's played before, but he's just so bad at it. You know what it was? Because they tried to make him deliberately funny, as opposed to someone you can laugh with. Like here in this movie, you're never laughing at John McClane. You're laughing with yeah. John McClane. Uh, the minute you turn Bruce Willis into something, to the object of laughter... He's hard to believe, I think. Yeah, but that's no, me. I, yeah, no, no, no. I agree with that. And so I think from a casting standpoint, you think of the people that were big, and like you're saying, mm-hmm. you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, yeah, uh, Sylvester Stallone, and Dolph, those, yeah, Dolph, Dolph Lundgren, Lundgren like Carl Weathers, those and, type of guys at the time. And I mean, you can laugh at them and with them. they kind of come as a goofy. There's yeah. a goofiness to them. Yeah, you know, short of I think Stallone and Rambo was probably a more serious role well, for, first, first blood one. was certainly a serious one but the second one rambo gets into ridiculousness yeah. right like that's the one where he starts he goes to vietnam and then rambo three is in afghanistan and, right and he got stupid but yeah like you're you're meant to go this is a this is a macho over the top 
Yeah, this guy that worked out a lot. Hopefully he didn't miss leg day. And yeah. Right. Now he's... So. so, but no, it was good. Yeah, this... Yeah. Uh, so what stands out for you? Like, you've seen it now. You've said you've seen it 20 it's times. the best Christmas movie ever, Farron. That's what it is. <laughs> is. Is This is a Christmas movie. I watch this and I'm like, I don't know what it is about. It's at nighttime, so there's a certain uh, environmental feeling there. I don't know. Uh, from an action standpoint, it's just such a good action movie. Lots of mistakes that we noticed mm-hmm. today, especially. Um, but... Just a good action movie. And at the end of it, you go, fuck yeah, John McClane won. <laughs> yippee ki Like, he's like a childhood superhero for me. I really? wasn't into the comic books and stuff really? like that. John McClane was the, the man. Another another Christmas, another, what did he say in Die Hard 2? Another Christmas, another elevator how shaft this, or how does, this, yeah, how does this keep happening to me? Yeah. So you know, but, how does this happen to the same guy twice? Yeah, he's, he says, he's yeah. just that guy. Like, he's yeah. just, and that really does stand out to me, is that this movie really kind of fills that, action movie someone says action movie from my childhood diehard's probably the one fair enough yeah for me uh i'm not nearly the fan of this movie that clearly you are i enjoy it let's be clear if someone says you know do you recommend i watch diehard or if they ask me for a recommendation for a like an 80s action film i'd probably say predator terminator and this and if you're looking for goofy i might even throw commando because it's so ridiculous let's watch it again (laughs) no let's not um you know there's some movies that i've I haven't. I could never watch again after having done this podcast. And Commando's one of them, um, mostly for the amusement value. But what stands out to me now, like having, like again, the critical eye. Like I watched this about a week ago because I always watch these in advance so that I'm up to date on. Like I have the plot clearly in my head, and now I can watch for the real fine details when I watch it with you. Right. And this time, what stands out to me, I commented on it, is that these guys needed a firearms advisor on the set really, really oh, badly. Yeah. Because these people, all, they all walk around with the weapon at what we call low port, right? With the weapon. Oh, yeah. Up with in your, the air. With you up in the air with your, your arm at 90 degrees. And their their hand is always on the trigger. Yeah. They always do lots of NDs on, for sure in the Army. Yeah. A lot everywhere. of, yeah. Yeah. It's just, what's an ND stand for again? Negligent discharge. Negligent discharge. That's right. Yeah. I was hey I was once on an exercise where uh, she uh, one of, one of the fellow my fellow medics uh, accidentally squeezed the trigger because she was doing this shit she squeezed off two rounds because she had it on auto nice live oh no no right, um, yeah uh, the end of our yeah. infantry ex like yeah. our five day exercise yeah. we're all walking out all our kid on us 130 pounds oh yeah end of the ex walking pop pop we hit the deck it hurts. <laughs> Sure enough, the idiot in front of me, like four people ahead of us, yeah. decided to check if his safety was on. Oh, Jesus. By pulling on his like, trigger. trigger. That's... Yeah, this is this guy. He passed, too. Really? So, yeah. Really? That wasn't an immediate return to you? God unit. bless Canada. <laughs> so, no, yeah, no, when this medic, when she fired two like, off, yeah. Yeah, officer looked at her, pointed, and said, negligent discharge, $1,000 fine. And that was it. That was her quote-unquote trial right there he pointed at her and said negligent discharge one thousand dollar fine because that's what it is in the canadian army it's five hundred dollars around for for that's just for blanks it's a thousand for every live round yeah and that doesn't include any other shit you might get in for you know shooting someone or something he uh this guy was on charge parade when we were packing up to leave he had to stay an extra day in wainwright and do charge parade good which is like 180, 190 steps per left minute. Right, left, right, left, right. Yeah, left, and left, right, just, left. with all your kid on. Yeah, you just oh, walk yeah. around the parade square. He's like lucky. That's all it was. Yeah. You know what it was? It's because he was on course. Yeah. Had, had this been an exercise, they would have just charged his ass and sent right. him on his way. Yeah. So you know the 
I just noticed the advisor, like the lack of an advisor is pretty clear. Like it's clearly, it sort of bothers me, but yeah, I think yeah. the, the safety is super important and, and, um, it's an interesting thing that they're doing that more and more now. And, oh yeah. yeah well, look sure. at John Wick. I mean, they, they put these actors on the, on a firing range for, for months. Right. Yeah. They know how to use these weapons. And I think that sort of helps with the authenticity, but anyway, so let's go through it and see what we see. And so it starts off with, you know, John McClane on a, a plane. We see that he's afraid of flying and the guy beside him has you know, like the, the greatest idea ever, I, I guess, on how to decompress, which is walk around barefoot, barefoot on the carpet, make fists with your, your toes. toes better than coffee and a shower. I just tried doing that after the movie. And I don't know if it helped or not, but well, your your so wasn't barefoot. Yeah. Yes, damn it. But yeah, it's so. And you think a silly little detail like that. There's a few of them in this film where you look at the silly detail. Same with when the explosion happens and the the uh, reporter says, "Did you get that?" And of course, at the end when he gets decked, he says, "Oh yeah, did you get that?" So there's a lot of these. Oh yeah. yeah. Sort of things like the you know the build up with Argyle, the the driver and. <laughs> There, there's a whole bunch of these sorts of setups. And this is one of them. You wonder, well, why would we care about this? But his whole spiel there about taking his shoes off leads to one of the the more interesting plot devices, which is the fact that McLean spends the entirety of the action of this film barefoot. And how he's able to walk by the end of it, I, I, I can't say, but movie magic, I guess. Well, and there's lots of glass in Nakatomi Tower. <laughs> yes, it's a... Very easy to break. Very, very, yeah, very, very poor quality glass. They spent a lot of money on security for that goddamn vault and then ran <laughs> out of money for glass. But yeah. So then he gets to the airport and I mean, there's not much to the scene. He sees that a girl run past him and jump and wrap herself around her boyfriend. He goes, hey, California. Yes, because girlfriends don't greet their boyfriends excitedly in New York, I guess. Yeah. And, the, and then like, or he was eyeballing her because she was all she wasn't wearing a whole lot of clothing, maybe. Oh, no, no. Was she, was, at, she, was but, just, she was just in tights or whatever. But, it was just Yeah, it's like he keeps anytime you see someone who's a little more free with their uh, affections, he goes, ah, California. Because yeah. he gets kissed at the party by that guy oh, yeah. on the cheek. So, yeah. Yeah, and then they... Uh, we meet Argyle. Yeah. And and it's his first day. It's like, so what happens now, Argyle? I don't know. I was hoping you could tell me. I the first day driving the, the limo. It's like my first day in a limo. So... Yeah. And then they end up in the front seat and... Hey, uh, that's a decked out Lincoln... Uh, it's got VHS, VHS capabilities. CD, CB. A CB radio. <laughs> that's... But they still use tape up front. Yeah. It's a tape he listens tape to. Cassette, yeah. rap. Yes. Can we listen to some Christmas music? This is Christmas music. And it's just a shitty 80s rap. <laughs> you know, it's just, there's good 80s rap and that ain't it. And then they're bounce, then they bounce over to the, like kind of, the two scenes are concurrent. They're bouncing right. to Nakatomi Tower where they're obviously having their Christmas party and it was a great year. And yeah, they saw some big deal. Yeah. And Holly Gennaro gets introduced at that point. And we know, and yeah, we know that it's McLean's wife, though, where we, they don't really explain it, why she's using the name. Uh, at that point, they don't, but he did say that it, they kind of build the what's happening there in the front of the limo as well as on the airplane. I'm here to see my wife and kids or whatever. Yeah, I'm a New see, York I, cop because they see his gun. Yeah, and, and it's been sick. Yeah, it's right. The the guy who says to make the fist sees the, sees the gun says, don't worry, I'm a cop. And it's yeah. like, you know, in the States, I know there are police departments where police officers on duty or not are required to carry a firearm on them because they, the idea being that if they're in their jurisdiction, they can be expected to. Step, step in, and- step in if needed. Here, remember that cop? <laughs> remember the cop got his car broken into and they took his uh, his his AR fifteen. 
You think that guy's going to be off a desk anytime soon? Yeah, that's, like, yeah. Because he stopped for something to eat. Like, dude, you were transporting. At a, a bar. A restricted, was it at a bar? Yeah, it was at Shanks North. Oh, geez. <laughs> yeah, I think that guy's going to fly a desk for a while. Yeah, not but, good. But, uh, yeah, that's, that was just, well, he was on the SWAT team. I emphasize was because if, he's not on anymore. If he had it with him, though, he would have been fine. Just wear it into the restaurant. Oh, I'm sure that would work really. Yeah, this is not Texas. No, yeah, it doesn't work so, that way. Or California, apparently. Yeah, California. So this guy's got got this gun, um, which sound effects lead me to believe might actually be a hand cannon, or at the very least, made by the same people who produced Indiana Jones's firearm. Right, might Wait, be the same firearm. Fucking cannon, yeah. So yeah, so we're back and forth between him. You know, he's a New York cop. Uh, his wife Holly and the kids moved out to California. It's been six months. Yeah, because they mentioned July. Yeah, and it's right. a great. Uh, she had a great opportunity at Nakatomi Tower, and and she took it. Well, we look, she's transfer. director of corporate affairs. Like she's she's way the hell up. Yeah, she, well, they kill the guy, and then and she's in charge. Yeah, yeah. So. Well, they look to her. I mean, that doesn't mean anything. If you're, like she's on the board of directors. Yeah, like she is a a director of corporate affairs. So she answers directly to uh, Joseph Takagi, the the you know the guy who runs their American operations. So she's way up there. That's a hell of a job. Yeah, well, um, and he's a New York cop who's got six months of bad guys to put away, and I'm sure scumbag. I'm sure in the '80s a transfer from New York to LA PD probably wouldn't be that. Difficult. Well, it's not a transfer because it's not the same entity. It's not. Yeah, you know, well, it's just yeah, you know, getting I mean. getting a job. Yeah, but you know, he didn't want to because I mean, I, I can't help but think that being a policeman, especially a detective in Los Angeles and in New York City, I've got to be wildly different experiences depends i guess where you are if you're in i mean i guess if you're compton doing, or <laughs> well if you're doing like financial crimes i'm sure but if you're just a if you're a detective doing like murders and stuff like that like the skill set's the same but the environment i mean could you be more different than a spread out city like los angeles and yeah. a mega city like well, New York City. starting from scratch, I mean, you have all these files and all these bad guys and all these people you're watching, and now you're going to a place where it's all new bad yeah. guys, and you, you're but, literally starting from scratch. And yeah, I mean, but let's be honest. He's, he, he's stuck in New York because the plot required it. <laughs> you know? Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. You know? so. Um, but yeah, it's so, so yeah, while he's on his way to Nakatomi Tower, which is part of Nakatomi Plaza, which is an office and a hotel, I noticed in the sign, and convention space. So it's a whole big deal, sort of like the Telus Convention Center is a little bit of everything. Yeah, we, we're we not sure whether he's actually going to stay with his wife, and she's not either. She calls home. So we can Have you make, heard from him? Make up the room just in case. I already yeah. did. And yeah, it's, yeah. You know, it's all very standard split family 1980s dramatics. Like there's nothing, nothing in this movie, let's be honest, nothing in this movie is a surprise. There are no surprises. Everything here is generic 80s action but it's done so well yeah and all yeah. the actors are so good that's right and it, like you said in the beginning it, this isn't the best movie you're ever going to watch it's not oh that was the best no. screen but it's a great 80s but, it, but it's but it's a great action film yeah. yeah it's a well done well casted well filmed action film so it is very well cast yeah yeah so while he's kind of oh well, we also got introduced to alice the douchebag oh yeah sales guy who, who obviously who, wants a piece of of Holly. Holly, yeah. He's he's gross. I'm, yeah. some, I'm thinking of some mold wine and some aged brie. He reminds me of uh, that slime ball from Roxanne. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> Nelson tradition of hot tubbing. Like it's, <laughs> we're clearly, and that's funny, we're clearly meant to hate this guy right from the get-go. Ellis is like, someone shoot him, someone shoot him, please, please, please. <laughs> you know, well, all the bullets are thrown out there, you'd think someone has a bullet for Ellis. And thankfully, we discover someone yeah. does. So, yeah. 
So he arrives at the party, and this is where we learn that Holly is using her maiden name. her maiden name, Gennaro. And we learn that because he goes to the, you know the front desk, and instead he says, "I'm here to see Holly McLean," and the the security guard says, "Just type it in," and it's a touch screen. Now these days, of course. That's no big deal, but in 1988, that would have been viewed as a quote-unquote high-tech building. Like, oh yeah, this tower is presented as this high-tech fortress. I remember I noted that anytime you see the tower, despite the fact that we can see from the roof, there are plenty of other towers nearby. They always show the towers being on its own, like it's this monolith. Yeah, in its own yeah place. It's sort of its own little world is the tower, and it's kind of cool. Like it, it, you really you get the impression that this is someplace special. And that's just a matter of choosing the right camera angle. Right. McTiernan does a very good job of that. Yeah, no, I... And whoever his director of photography is, but yeah. Yeah, so he goes up, he gets kissed by, you know, he goes to the party, he gets that champagne, which was red. Uh, red and... I'm not a drinker, but... very bubbly. Yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm not a much of a drinker, class. but... Uh, well, that's just a standard party bullshit, but my understanding is that champagne is not red. Not normally. Not normally, unless you're in the middle of a horror film, yeah. I guess. Or they might have made him red and green because it was Christmas. Yeah, possibly, yeah, but he didn't be. like it, whatever it was. No, so, he disked um, it off right away. And, and then he's introduced to Takagi, and I, I kind of like the character Takagi. I would have liked to have seen more of him. Like, they kill him so quickly, but he's he's interesting. He, I mean, very he, Japanese proud, like very... Oh, yeah, but, yeah. He's, but he's, he grew up in America. Remember, right. he, was, he was two years old when he moved But here. he's they, running a major Japanese co- company corporation. Yeah. Yeah, so. um, they give his biography. Remember, I noted that he spent time at, I think it's called Manzarat. It was a concentration camp. No, not like Auschwitz. Concentration camp that they had in the States. What they did is they ordered all Japanese residents off the coast in the United States. And they put them in this shithole in the desert called Manzarat. It's, unfortunately, we in Canada did the same thing. But he grew up there. Uh, George Takai, who played Sulu, was there. You know, so this is a guy who had the, unfortunately, the Japanese American experience. But it's interesting that when he, when he talks with John McClane, he says, You throw quite a party. I didn't realize they celebrated Christmas in Japan. <laughs> We're flexible. Pearl Harbor didn't work out, so we got you with tape decks. He's identifying himself as Japanese. He's not. He's American through and through. Right. He's been in, a, in, in the United yeah, his States. his parents came in 1939. I think, or nine, yeah, 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 because he was born in thirty-seven and he came in thirty-nine. So this kid has never known Japan. He probably speaks Japanese, otherwise he wouldn't be this high up in a Japanese company. That's another thing to note is that you know we go okay Japanese corporation whatever, but in the eighties, remember Japan was on the ascent and their corporations were everywhere. I mean, Nintendo of America came here as this massive force, and it was kind of a running joke that you know the you know the Japanese are going to buy up America. Uh, there are all sorts of movies about Japanese corporations coming in and they're play- presented as the bad guy. I mean, there's, um, oh, what's the movie? Rising Sun with Chris oh, yeah. Wesley Snipes and all about a yeah. corporation. Uh, there was Gung Ho with uh, Michael Keaton about the Japanese uh, company buying a local shutdown car plant. Mm-hmm. All these movies about that. But it was based on this very anti-Japanese, not racial thing, but anti-sort of Japanese corporation feel in the States. Like when Nintendo of America bought a share of the Seattle Mariners, which is Baseball. Baseball. Uh, they had to do it quietly, and they had to make it clear they would be silent partners because there was this reaction, like, well, what are you going to do to our team? Right. They just wanted to invest in a... Ba- well, and baseball's big in Japan. Big in Japan, yeah. Brought, brought by the Americans, after yeah. by American soldiers after the war. Yeah, but it's just, you know, Japanese corporations often come off as the sort of the bad guy in films. And here, uh, Joseph Takagi, and if you notice, he has a middle name that's Japanese, but Joseph is his American name. Uh, much like many Chinese who come here, they they take a an English sounding name just to make life easier. Right. Like my handyman here, his name is David. 
I promise you, he wasn't given David at birth. He's from mainland China. <laughs> oh, yeah. But they, he just went with David, and that's fine. You sort of expect, again, in this film, you sort of expect that Takagi's going to be like a taskmaster. He'll be very mean. But he seems like a really nice boss. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, throws this great party, and he's super nice. He's obviously knows John McClane before he introduces himself. Well, so John McClane like, comes up to him, and it's pretty obvious, because he's dressed in a working man's yeah. clothes, and everyone else is in expensive clothing. But it's good, important to know your employees, people. And yeah, just, well, yeah, he seems like... Well, yeah, Holly also has a picture of him. Yeah. Which we joke was, like, taken yesterday, because there's, like... <laughs> I'm sorry, his daughter, his six-year-old daughter looks exactly like she did when the picture was taken, which was at least six months ago. Right. But he's a super nice boss. He's very friendly. He's very tolerant of this, this coke-sniffing douchebag. And there's Alice learning coke off her desk. I did, that's creepy as fuck. Yeah, it's a weird, a weird place to go and do it. You'd think he'd have his own office. It sounds like he does. He has, he has a private washroom. Private washroom, yeah. Not anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but yeah, like, why is he in her office? Like, what's he sniffing around for? Like, that's almost creepy because he's already hit on her. Oh, yeah. And it's like, ew. Yeah, and he's a... Uh, he's, but uh, then that couple tried to come in there and bang in her office, too. Was so that was a little weird. Office? I don't know. In one of the offices. Yeah. They tried Ellis's private yeah. washroom first. They, go, they just couldn't. It wasn't meant to be because they get interrupted by the terrorists later on. So Well, but we've learned from 80s movies that if you experience an enormous amount of trauma, this draws you together. So maybe after they got out of the hospital at the end of this ordeal, they just went home and oh. banged away for days. Yeah, kids That's, everywhere. Kids Kids for days. The, the Nakatomi baby boom. And you get a kid. And you get a kid. And you get a kid. The Nakatomi incident baby boom. Yeah. 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 Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. So, eventually, Holly does come in after Ellis has been embarrassed by, you know, because he points out, yeah, he's a cop. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he's, got, so he's still got cocaine yeah. on his nose. Yeah. And she comes in and Ellis says, yeah, show him the watch. Like, like right out of the blue, it's a Rolex. Yeah. Well, so, he's trying to. He's trying to. Show that he's more of a man to her than he is. Yeah, look there. how awesome we look are. Look how I can provide. Look how we can provide for her. And yeah, just he's such a dick. douche. Yeah, he's well, he, so but he's meant to be. Yeah, he's meant to be a dick. We are meant to hate him. Because we know he's going to do something stupid later. Well, he's a cokehead, so yes. Yeah. But is he not like the most generic 80s corporate douchebag oh, from yeah. Hollywood ever? He's slick, overly so. He's racist. Uh, we learn later he's... You know, he looks down on everyone. It's all about status and the Rolex of status. And of course, he's a cokehead. Of course, he is. What else are you going to do with your money? I can think of several things. Cocaine isn't one of them. Uh, what are you going to do? But yeah, it's he, like meet the douchebag is really what it is. He's meant to be yeah. the fly in the ointment, and that's fine. Yeah, yeah, and it's and he tries to play off this like guy that Holly's interested in to kind of make McLean feel like a dick or like almost or, like a jeal try to create a jealousy there or, so. to, or to tell him yeah you, you don't belong here she's mine now yeah and exactly. of course she's she just rolls her eyes I mean, it's even clear takagi doesn't like this guy like you wonder yeah, he he says, hey jojo good. hey jojo yeah that's what you call your boss in a yeah, japanese he company he closes million dollar deals for breakfast yeah you got to keep that guy around yeah million dollar deal they for, hold, yeah, a whole a whole million yeah that's a breakfast <laughs> think of what he's doing at lunch Cocaine. <laughs> lots and lots of cocaine. And for dinner, he's doing hookers. But that's a different matter. And for dessert, hookers and cocaine. Cocaine. <laughs> yeah, baby. So uh, Holly drags him off to, I'm pretty sure, I don't think it's Ellis's washroom, but it's uh, an executive like a conference washroom. room or No, something. no, it's a washroom. Oh. Because he's using the sink. Oh, yeah, right. right. And they have the argument, and this is where we learn stuff we already knew, which is she had a job, she took it. Clearly, he was expecting more of a traditional marriage. Where she right. stayed home. But here's the thing. If six months ago she got this job as director of corporate affairs, at some point when they met, she wasn't the secretary. She was 
Right, yeah, they they would have scooped oh. her up. It wasn't like, oh, the stay-at-home mom would be an amazing Cor- director. Yeah, yeah. corporate <laughs> affairs, yeah. That's the thing, like, especially in a traditional Japanese corporations, which women do not rise through the ranks in traditional in a traditionally-minded Japanese corporation. That doesn't happen. So she must have been pretty goddamn spectacular. So the fact that she married a guy like this, who clearly had some pretty traditional views of what marriage are, that's a movie marriage right there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So while they're arguing, we finally get to see a rental truck, like a U-Haul or Pacific Curry or whatever, it driving along, and we don't know who they are, but they link in with a car, and in the car is a ballet dancer and a computer hacker. Okay, well, an actor who is a ballet <laughs> dancer playing a psychotic maniac, and they execute the guy behind the desk. Yeah, and which is opens up the... Building the so building. That they can kind of move around. Then they kill the guy around the corner with a flashbang. With a flashbang, the guy's just some dude in a suit, <laughs> and they make a whole point of using a flashbang. It's like he could have just walked around the corner, but it's it's an action film. So, but it'll, we'll also then know later what the little hockey puck looking thing is that it's a flashbang. Right. I've never seen a flashbang that looks like nope. that, and I've used them. Yeah, you know they're they're interesting, <laughs> but uh, yeah. He kills the um, the second guard, and now that now it's theirs. And the intro to Alan Rickman's character Hans Gruber is actually kind of cool. The back door of the uh, or the rental truck comes out, and they all walk out, and he says nothing. And everyone else is sort of casually dressed. Yep, they're wearing street clothes. They have a vaguely 1980s European look to them. The guys with the long Fabio hair and the, just the choice of glasses, and it's like it's, they have a very European style to them. And he is dressed impeccably. Like he's in this really expensive suit. And he says nothing. And I think that actually makes him more ominous than if he'd been yelling, go, 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 you there, you there, and start barking all sorts of orders. The first time he speaks is when he quietens everyone down after he starts shooting, after they start shooting. Right. Like when they round everyone up. So that's a good 10 minutes of him on screen, more on and off, before he says a word. You know, I got reminded of uh, Spielberg. He, would, he, he was only willing to direct Jaws if he was allowed to wait a full hour before showing the shark. Oh, yeah. And people said, that's never going to work. And it really did. Yeah, you, you know? build up that hype about him. And I it, I didn't notice it until today when you mentioned it. And, I mean, the intro to that, to him coming in, is yeah. great. It, it builds up this, he has this unneeded, or he has this respect about him. And he doesn't need to bark his... He yeah, he just walks, and yeah. everyone's doing it. It's a very well-planned mission. He's, everyone's doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing yeah. from the second. They're not looking to him for answers. And they already know this building. He's not directing answers. Yeah. He's just... He, his He's mission is to them, get yeah. in there, take control of the situation, and... Or he doesn't even have to take control of the situation, maintain because it. They, everyone knows what's about to happen. Right. Like, you know, it's... But he takes control of the situation being the hostages. He takes yeah, control of yeah, them. Yeah, and even, yeah, right. even the way they introduce him and he stands up, you know, they, they show him standing at the top of the stairs. With, with the book. With, with the book. Like and a then, preacher. Like a preacher. Yeah, about to and then out. everyone's standing below in like the bullpen area where the party was happening. Yeah, and he's yeah. like, there's this instant power that he has mm-hmm. over everybody. And he just calmly says. And he's not armed or he doesn't yeah. seem armed. Everyone else yeah. around him is armed. And even Alexander Gudinov, who's standing behind him, you know, leaning against the wall with his arms crossed. I mean, he looks scary. Yeah. Alexander Gudinov was, well, he was an athlete. He was a, ball- a ballet dancer, a serious uh, ballet dancer from the Soviet Union. Uh, he's big. Right. Gudinov was not a short man. He was That's six foot a big seven. fucking guy. guy yeah. yeah. <laughs> what was it from Commando? Commando, yeah. One big, big motherfucker. motherfucker. Yeah. But everyone looks intimidating either through their physicality 
or their guns. And he looks like he's an accountant, but he holds himself in such a way. He stands up straight. He's impeccably dressed. He's perfectly calm in the, you know, in the presence of all of this chaos of his guys shooting. And of course, while this happening, McLean's still in the washroom, uh, barefoot because he took the guy's advice. Was making knuckles, fist, fist, fist with his toes, toes. and uh, no shirt. He's got the well, he's got the the wife beater on. The white wife beater. The, the white. Time. Well, for at least not for, for next, long. At least for the next thirty seconds. Yeah, uh, he sweats a lot. We learn later because yeah. that sucker is gray in five minutes. Yeah, and they're rounding everyone up from the offices, and he's the, as he's kind of coming in, they're rounding everybody up, and they get everybody into the area, and McLean has escaped out. Into the, into the stairwell, yeah, into the stairwell, going up yeah. floor by floor. Well, lucky him, he gets away because remember the, the bad one of the bad guys is about to check oh, on this door, boobs. and then they hear and they hear the woman screaming because the couple who tried to sneak into the washroom to bang away there, but Holly and and John were there. They found an office, so we get we get some eighties boobs. And a great distraction to get for him to get away. away and, yeah. yeah, and it's again that's eighties for you, like. That wasn't needed, but whatever. I'm not complaining too loudly. Uh, yeah, and so he goes up the stairs, and and then we get again this scene of chaos with him, this this island of serenity in the middle of it, and he starts talking about Joseph Takagi, and he lit, you know, he's sort of he's going from Japanese guy to Japanese guy, making eye contact with him while he rattles off his biography, and they all sort of look away because as unthreatening as he is, he's terrifying. Where is Mr. Takagi? Joseph Yoshinobu Takagi. Born Kyoto, 1937. Family emigrated to San Pedro, California, 1939. Interned Manzanar, 1942-43. Scholarship student, University of California, 1955. Law degree, Stanford, 1962. MBA, Harvard, 1970. President, Nakatomi Trading. Vice Chairman, Nakatomi Investment Group. Enough. And father of five. I am Takagi. How do you do? It's a pleasure to meet you. Right. Because it's pretty clear that if if you challenge this guy, you're gonna you're gonna have a hole in your head. Yeah, and this is obviously a planned situation which can be intimidating too, right? Like they knew exactly who they're looking for. They came into the Well they room. didn't know who Takagi was. Well they didn't they didn't know which what fine, he looked I found like. it, I found that interesting. They didn't have a picture of this guy. Yeah, that seems a little odd considering it's not but, like but that may have been part of the performance. Yeah. This may have been part of a dominance making him say, I am Takagi. Yeah. Yeah, that could be too. You gotta give credit to Alan Rickman. Like this is oh. a, he had done other films. He did one called Truly Madly Deeply, which the movie Ghost steals from. Truly Madly Deeply is a much better film about a woman who loses her boyfriend, Alan Rickman, but she hallucinates that he's in the in the apartment with her. Oh. But then he comes and he does this, and like you said, a, a year or two later he did uh the, the Sheriff of Nottingham and in, in Robin Hood Prince of Thieves, the Costner movie, which I love. Oh, he was um, fan and he was perfectly yeah. casted for he that. was and he and he, here too like he's really good even though his accent is weird yeah uh, i kept waiting for him to, to for us to learn that he really wasn't german that he was pretending to be this hot this guy hans gruber and really he was just some dude hans. from london well german name you know yeah but uh uh yeah it's he does a great job oh yeah yeah, yeah. and then yeah so they take takagi up to his office 
or the board boardroom because that big board table was there. right the zigzag board table where yeah. you couldn't see half the people who were sitting there yeah. like that would be goddamn awkward everyone having to crane their bodies around it was like yeah but yeah and, and it, it's kind of neat because there's a scene in there i mentioned like he, he looks at because there's models of all of the corporations um nakatomi corporations facilities like it's uh it's bridges and it's oil derricks and and he quotes from alexander and when alexander saw the breadth of his domain he wept for there were no more worlds to conquer Benefits of a classical education. That's from Plutarch. He's oh, a yeah. writer. Yeah. I had to look it up. I'd forgotten, but I've actually read that. And then he sort of looks back at Takagi and says, the benefits of a classical education. I have used that line so many times. <laughs> because, in fact, I have a classical education. My first degree was ancient and medieval history. Now, what he meant is that he was probably taught the classics. That When we mean the classics, we mean ancient Greece and ancient Rome. He probably uh, was well-educated in a school that taught that, but he also knows uh, he also knows uh, British uh, fashion houses really well. So I'm guessing he's got some uh, some British boarding school time in his. Uh, Must be yeah. But he's part of a German uh, terrorist group, Volksfrei, which I looked up is not real. It just means free people. But there is one called the Volkisch movement, which just means power to the people. I'm not surprised that uh, 20th Century Fox didn't want to name an actual German terrorist group. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I can't but, imagine why. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is 1988. There were still two Germanys, right? Democracy, oh, yeah. German, West Germany, and Communist East Germany. And there were a lot of uh, terrorist groups in West Germany. Red Army Faction. I'll, I'll let you guess who they wanted to be part of. The, the, the Bader Meinhof gang, which were mostly just anarchists, but they love banks. There are a lot of these serious groups. So I don't blame... 20th Century Fox for inventing a group because you don't want these guys actually showing them. Yeah. <laughs> An actual Hans Gruber. Hey, you got to send us some money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Using our namesake. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, uh, well, they do mention Arafat. Oh, yeah. Remember, he looks at Takagi's suit and says, I have two just like it. So rumor has it that Arafat got buys his suits there. Of course, they're referring to Yasser Arafat, who was the founder of the Palestinian Liberation Organization, a terrorist slash statesman, depending, depending who you ask. Which side you're on, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so they take him and they want his, uh, passcode. his, his passcodes. And you realize this is not, he's not a terrorist. Everyone up until now, because even Takagi says it, what kind of terrorist are you? Who said we're terrorists? They're yeah, fucking thieves. We want your $640 million in bear bonds. Yeah. Like those can't be traced or anything, but okay. Yeah. Actually, in the 80s, I would probably went a little harder. Probably, yeah, probably not as easy as they would be today. Well, I mean, they'd still be traced, but by the time, like, if you showed up with, say, a dozen bearer bonds and said, you know, I've had these. Uh, they were gifts to me. I'd like to cash them in. What bank's going to say no? Yeah, of course, because they still have the value, same value. So, so they'll they'll buy them. They're clearly legit once they look up the number. But then I think you, I guess, I suppose that someone say, "Hey, those are flagged as stolen." But whatever, it's a movie. So yeah. it was easier than saying, "I'm going, I'm coming for your gold," you know, which obviously you could just melt down. But uh, that's what they do in Die Hard with a Vengeance. They go after the gold. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah. Apparently, this character Hans is is mentioned in the in the. Other oh film? yeah, the the scene of him falling. Is in Die Hard of the Vin. Do you remember? Do you remember Hans Gruber? And he goes, Yeah, it rings a bell. <laughs> and it's like shows him like falling out of oh, the, okay. the window. Yeah. Oh, so, so the character knows him? Well, it's John McClane. So yeah, someone yeah, no, asked no, John McClane. Yeah, it's his cousin or something. Oh, like it's that. Jeremy you know? Irons. I remember that. Yeah, so I know he's, Jeremy Irons. So, it's okay. pretty much he's going to rob the Federal Reserve. And okay. fuck with McLean at the same time. Ah, so okay. he's fucking with McLean to get revenge for <clears throat> Hans Gruber. 
and robbing the Federal okay. Reserve. And they tie the two together so that it's like just them fucking with McLean. Uh, and then they rob the Federal Reserve while everyone's... Fair enough. Yeah. Still never going to watch that movie. But you Watch it. <laughs> you'd be. I think you'd be mad at me if you watched it, but it's a good movie. I like that. You'll be mad at me, but watch it anyway. Yeah, you should just do oh, Okay. If you're, look, if you, if you don't want to do the podcast anymore, you can, <laughs> there are easier ways to... <laughs> so, yeah, so... All I can say is, what movie did we watch that you made me watch? And Rad. No, I made you watch that one. Uh, your. Your. Dear Lord. <laughs> your. The greatest movie yeah, ever. I'll trade you a your for a Die Hard with a Vengeance any day of the week. <laughs> that, that, sorry, that episode is one of our best. Uh, <laughs> Jesus. I just want that hair. Yeah. yeah so. so this is where we get one of, we get Hans Gruber's tell. Sort of like a poker tell. Is that. He says, like, I'm going to give you three seconds to give me this password. There won't be a four. There won't be a four. And he pulls out this 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 handgun with a uh, silencer on. He takes the silencer off and very dramatically lays the weapon down on the table. And then, of course, he shoots Takagi. Because he, he's like, I don't even have... I don't have the password. You just have to shoot me. Yeah. Okay. And he just shoots him. Well, I have to do it the hard way then. Yeah. And if you notice, the Theo, the computer hacker, and Carl... Uh, oh, had a bet on whether he was going to give it up or yeah. not. And uh, Carl obviously thought that Takagi would give up the password. The thing is, Takagi didn't have the password. Right. But he explains, like, you need that You need that from Tokyo. I don't have it. Yeah, so it that sets up kind of this tell that any time he pulls out that weapon, like the, same, the next time he pulls it out is when they have, when they have Ellis in the room. Right. And we so we know, uh-oh, here it comes. Ellis is going to... Get a bullet in the is head. Is going to get a bullet in the head. Not that anyone's complaining ever. Uh, <laughs> the most thankful death in the movie. And yeah, so uh, McLean witnesses all this. And at this point, he's still in pants and a wife beater and no shoes. And he's got his pistol, the hand cannon. Right. Yeah, and he hasn't... He hasn't has done he, anything Has yet. he killed anyone? No, no, point? because remember, oh, he, yeah, he right. runs back up to the next floor and says, why didn't you do something? That's because right. Because you'd be dead too, asshole, because he's talking to himself. Yeah, and, and then... Think, John, think. Like, okay, thank yeah, you for that line. Pulls the fire alarm. Yeah, that's right. Right, pulls so. the fire alarm. And then they... T- and, and he's cheering. Yeah, yeah, they're coming. And then he sees the, 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 the fire yeah. trucks turn around. Because, of course, they call the... Uh, oh, the false alarm. False alarm. And then... Uh, they the send lead- up the... Uh, the brother. Uh, yeah, the- Car- Carl's brother. Um, and it's funny because it's like, this guy is the most unconvincing, we won't harm you anywhere. Yeah. The alarm has been called off, my friend. I kept expecting him to say, papers, please. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we have ways of making you talk. He's like, I promise not to hurt you. And then he cocks his weapon. Okay, dude. Yeah, and sure. Then jumps around a table and, and doesn't and want to ask questions. Blazes first, away. Blazes yeah. away. Yeah. yeah. And so he dies from a broken neck because there's one thing we've learned from 80s movies is that breaking necks is super easy like falling down a flight of stairs is enough to break your neck well with but john mcclain on top of you it might be sure we'll go with that yeah so he, he this is him. the first bad guy this is yeah this Dead. is the first bad guy he's killed and he does something pretty i think it's over the top and stupid but it's part of that this is who john mcclain is he you know it, it took me a long time to figure out why he does what he does which was tie him to a a chair and send him down to where the party is on the 30th floor. And that's because he's on top of the 
the elevator when he does it. Getting information. Getting information. Listening to these people freak out about the fact that this man is dead. And he gets Carl's name. He says, you know, call Carl. Tell him his brother is dead. Hans, and, we, this guy's going to be a problem. So yeah. he gets Hans's name. And, and then he, looks, and he starts counting. And he's got a Sharpie. And he's writing it on his arm, which is very, very cool. But he also gets kind of cruel about it. Like he puts a, Chris, like a Santa hat on him. And in blood on his shirt goes, now I have a machine gun. Ho, ho, ho. Yeah. Merry and to be pedantic, it's not a machine gun. It's a submachine gun. But whatever. It's, um, <laughs> remember I mentioned that even with their, their choice of guns was kind of inspired in a movie today every terrorist would have their own gun and it'd be part of their style right you know there'd be a fashion to these <clears> terrorists <throat> and they'd all have you know one guy have the big gun and the other guy would have the little gun and another guy would have a, a pistol here it's like they all have mp5 a4s or a5s whatever yeah the a5 is one of the retractable stock, stock. Yeah. so i used to play airsoft and i used to have one like it but yeah it's like because that's how it would actually be you wouldn't want 20 different types of weapons because then you need all those different types of ammunition. Yeah. With the exception of Carl, who has an Aug Steyr, which is, fires a NATO, a NATO round, right? So it's the Austrian and Australian, uh, army weapons. It's, it's, it's a weapon. It's very futuristic looking because it's weird. Well, and that's for this movie. He puts it together. Yeah. And it kind of makes it. Yeah. But everyone else has the same weapon. Yeah. That's what it would be. You go to an arms dealer. I need this many weapons. I need this many, uh, you know, magazines and I need this much ammunition. Make it easy. It's all nine millimeter. Which is also convenient at the end of the movie for John McClane is his pistol's 9mm too. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like he can use the bullets from the machine gun. Sorry, the submachine gun. Ho, ho, ho. But, yeah. Yeah. So then he uh, well, he goes up to the roof because he gets a radio from this guy. Right, right. So he's where I need to transmit to, to tell these people to, which I actually think was a really funny scene because he's on, he, he radio transmissions on an emergency channel. Yeah. And the 911 operator gets on and the says, Supervisor, yeah. Sir, this is an emergency channel. Blah, blah, blah. I'm going to come, come arrest me. Come <laughs> arrest me. I don't care. You get yeah. them out here. And I, I thought that was really funny. And not until the like, gunfire. Do they take him seriously? Yeah. Nah, send a patrol and car. Even then, they don't. We think it's a prank call when yeah. they get. Uh, like, I don't know. If I heard gunfire in the background, I might yeah. send more to Urkel's dad. Out <laughs> Urkel's there. dad, yeah. yeah. Um, so. You know, the funny thing is that this is part of the, the long standing thing where everyone in a position of authority who's not like an on the ground working Joe is an idiot. Right. The, the FBI agents are idiots. The, the deputy police chief is an idiot. The people at the 911 headquarters are idiots. Everyone's an idiot except John McClane and Urkel's dad. Who's buying a huge Ooh, bag of Twinkies. Twinkies. Not actually and Urkel's dad. Again, it's the same actor. Yeah. A, a good action movie and they lighten it up. The, the clerk goes, I thought you guys just ate donuts. It's for my pregnant wife. Like, sure, sure it is. is yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's a, a funny addition yeah, to to lighten up a restricted well, we talked, action movie. Yeah, well, we talked about this with even with Raiders of the Lost Ark. When things get too intense, Spielberg throws in a laugh to relax people. And that's what we noticed was a problem with Temple of Doom. There's there's the dumb humor from Willie, but that actually made it worse. There's no lighthearted. We just go, ah. you know, it, it's, it's almost yeah. too intense. And this is the same thing. Just when you think things are getting too much, McTiernan just drops it a few notches. It's not laugh out loud funny. I don't think anyone in the audience was slapping their knees. Oh, uh, coffee donuts. That's yeah. hilarious. Yeah, but it's still funny. And it also humanizes this cop that this is not some gung ho douchebag with, with a with a gun. Right. He's a he's just a cop. Most cops are just you just go trying to get home for Christmas Eve. Yeah. It's like most cops are damn good, simple, everyday normal people. people. Yeah. Normal humans who yeah. just happen to be cops. I did find out a couple nights ago that RCMP headquarters in. Ontario, which is supposed to be kick-ass, has a Tim Hortons in it, so it all makes sense. Sorry, say that again? RCMP headquarters in Ottawa yeah. has a Tim Hortons in it. 
It's like nine different buildings, <laughs> but there's an actual Tim Hortons right in. The well, building. yeah, I guess. Of course, it's just yeah. yeah that's a little just little hilarious. on the nose. Just hilarious. <laughs> so that's hilarious. Yeah. yeah. So he's yeah he's on the roof and uh, and then of course it occurs to Hans where you know where right Century City. It's the best place to transmit. Somebody answer me, goddammit. The roof. Go go. Carl gets out his stair og. Uh, big scary two ass. other guys are going to go up and shoot him off the roof well yeah because that's where the shooting comes from from the uh, yeah microphone for the microphone that you yeah. know the uh, what do you call it here is the 911 dispatch supervisor uh, so they sort of shoot it out and he escapes through the uh, through the vents which again in, in movies vents are always always have to be big enough to hide one person it depends on the movie here he sort of crawls through the ones in chopping mall it was they were big enough for people to crawl through like on their hands and knees yeah well, yeah it's and they, uh, I mean, there's some hokiness, some diehard hokiness to this. So, you know, he, this is where he loses his machine gun. He uses it a brace and he shimmies down the, the. Yeah, he pushes it. Yeah, he braces it against the, the vent and uses it to go down and like. Yeah, and then, he, and then just as he's reaching, the, the sling gives away and he starts falling, but he catches three him. floors down he catches himself and i'm like i was like you break your fingers doing yeah, that yeah you might did, keep but, falling yeah so yeah falling down the the shaft and if you fell three stories and managed somehow to time it yeah. to grab that shaft yeah you'd break your fingers doing it you break your wrists would be dislocated your you'd be in some yeah so but this guy's this guy's made Bruce of sterner Lewis. yeah he's made of sterner stuff john mcclain um, yeah so anyway the cop comes up and at some point what happens? Oh, yeah. They, they try to find him in the vents, and then they get called away because the police car is rolling up the driveway. Right, right, So right. then he's, well, he's uh, he's going to investigate, and, and they're and, like, and oh, a bunch don't of waste them, a bunch of time on it. Yeah, but including one of them, remember, one of the terrorists has like a, well, has like an M60 or something, and they're waiting to see if the cop goes away or not. Yeah. And he is pulling away because, yeah, this is bullshit. Because remember, he talks to the, the terrorist behind the, the desk. Guard, he's pretending yeah. to be a ter- uh, security guard. Yeah. And... Yeah. He's convinced, okay, there's nothing. So he says, yeah, it's a crank call. There's, no, there's a big nothing here. And so really awesome shot. See, you know, filmed from inside the cop car. We see the body of a terrorist come down and smash through the window. Yeah, well, they, they end up finding McLean because how did they just go back there for a sec? How did he have that body? How did they know where McLean was? Oh, right. They chased him back into the boardroom. Yeah, but how did they, because they, they were all worried about the cop. And then the, the, did they hear something? Well, no, they're worried about the cop, but Carl and his two buddies keep chasing him. They chase him back off the roof into the boardroom. He shoots the one guy right away, and then the other guy gets on the table. And remember, uh, John's under the table. Yeah, I remember that. I, I just yeah, thought right they, there. But no, when he's in the vents, sorry. No, no, it's fine. If um, we go back, because it was actually an important, because they didn't listen, and it comes back later on. So he's in the vents, and then they all run out of the room, don't they? Yeah, but what it was is the other two guys find him, but Carl does not. He gets back into oh, the Oh, yeah. Yeah, so he, he escapes back to the Nakatomi oh, Tower. Oh, no, order. what it is is he smashes the... That's right. So he grabs that chair and he smashes the glass. Right. And somebody up right above him sees the leg of the right, chair come right, through right, the glass. Right, right, That's right. Yeah. And, and it's important to note because while all this is happening... These two terrorists go to find McLean in the in the room right. that Takagi was killed. Well, because they again they see the breaking yeah. of the glass. As like I said, it's it's really shitty, either really shitty glass on that high rise thirtieth floor, or that's one hell of a wooden chair. Yeah, and it they, could be could they, be both. A little they, bit of both. That's some impressive yeah. craftsmanship, man. Yeah, <laughs> so, buy my chairs so in LA. The good news is it gives him two bodies, one of which he throws one of which out the he window. Can throw out the window. And, yeah, and so you know, uh, is it Al? Is that his name? 
Uh, yeah. Yeah, Al the cop freaks out because, of course, he's got a body on his, on his roof. I was, and we, we were saying it's such a cool yeah. scene because they have a camera, like, on the dash looking up and then just... Well, as no, it's, it's, like, on the seat. It's yeah, like, right on, it's and like as on the he's, like, seat. backing up it... And, 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 t- and reporting in. Everything's and, fine. Yeah. It's a wild goose chase down here at Nakatomi Tower. This And the body slams in. That's yeah. a pretty good shot because... Yeah. Yeah, it's just you, you don't expect it, and then, oh my, there it is. And he freaks out, and he backs up, and he winds up going over and banging. And everyone, that's when they open up on him. Yeah, as soon as that yeah, happens. They, as soon as the body goes, because they realize, shit, the cops know, so then they open up on him, and yeah. I need help, back up, other shoe making Swiss cheese out of my car, yeah. so. And that's when the, uh, the reporter hears about this, and he's a slick prick who's trying to prove to some girl on the phone that, you know, I can get a reservation. I'm best friends with this guy. I interviewed him. <laughs> like, that doesn't make you best friend, buddy. Yeah. And, you know, he's in Die Hard of the Vengeance as well, the same actor who plays the, uh, the slimy reporter, and he is just as useless. He's in the second one, not with the Vengeance. Sorry, yeah, he's in the one. set. Yeah, yeah he's one, in the yeah. plane with Holly. With yeah, because yeah. and they have a restraining order because she she decks him at the end of this film. Yeah. But you know what? He has no reason to be there. Like, yes, he is the reason that Hans figures out that John McClane is the husband of Holly, Gennaro, yeah. who he's been dealing with. He remember, says, "What? What idiot put you in charge? Well, you did when you shot my boss. Everyone's looking to me." She holds. She, that's a great scene because he doesn't beat her. He sort of looks at her and goes, "Okay, what are your demands? Like, well, you better start right. taking it to the washroom, and I got a pregnant lady out there. You better." Better get her a couch and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, he's the one who makes the connection between them. But that could have been done any other way. He could simply have turned up the the portrait uh, yeah. that she at the beginning out of frustration because darn my my husband. She puts the the family portrait face down, <laughs> and that's when he clues in, right? But that character doesn't need to be there. You know, he threatens his news director either give me a, a what do you call it, give me a van or I'll steal one, and it's like. Okay, but here's another incompetence. It's not, it's not just the FBI. It's not just the police. It's not just the dispatcher. It's, the it's also the news. The media. Everyone's dumb but John and Al. And then this is where he gets a hold of the C4. I know, sorry. He got hold of the C4 and the detonators from Carl's brother, actually. He's had it all this time. Oh, yeah, right. And what happens next? No, he, he gets it from one of those guys. He's in that bag after he kills those two guys. And he says... Oh, he got his bag. Right. You know what's in the bag. Right. And it right. Was the, the first detonators. bag just had just had weaponry and yeah. cigarettes. Right, right, right. Yeah, when the cops attack is when he blow uses the bombs. Right. But he doesn't use the detonators, just uses the extra C4. Well, that happens later. Yeah, when the cops attack. Yeah. And, and we start to get this interesting, and this is actually the most interesting relationship in the movie, is that is that um, John has this terrorist's radio, and Al is on his CB in his car, in his police car, and they form a relationship. And of course, Al has no idea who he is, but John is using language that clearly identifies him as a cop. Like I've but seen enough fake IDs in my life to know. To this one's cost a fortune, yeah. And he uses terms like perpetrator. He talks like a cop, but Al is smart enough not to say, you're a cop, aren't you? Because he doesn't want to put this guy in danger. Right. Uh, and of course, the, the, the deputy police chief, Dwayne, shows up, you know, the, who used to be a principal in the Breakfast Club, but I guess he's decided to go into law enforcement now. And again, here's another guy who's an idiot who doesn't believe that John McClane is anything more than a terrorist uh, trying yeah. to lead them down the garden path. Well, at this point, they've already, they're already calling him Roy, I think, aren't they? Yeah, Roy yeah. Rogers. Yeah, because they're talking about you're another American who's seen too many movies and, and shit like that. And yeah, and so I was always, you know, was it, I was, uh, always, uh, partial to, uh, Roy, uh, Roy Rogers. Roy Rogers. Yeah, I like those sequin shirts. And that's where we get, yippee kaye, motherfucker. And it, <laughs> again, it's just, it sounds so, I get it, it's iconic, but it doesn't make it any less stupid. Because <laughs> he sounds so over the top. I'm so fucking awesome. Yippee yeah. kaye, motherfucker. Like, I'll show you. Yeah, and it's just like, but you start to get this interesting three way relationship 
between Al, Hans, and John, because they're all communicating. I mean, I don't think Hans ever actually talks to Al, but they're both talking to McLean. Right. And so you've got almost two different dramas going. You've got him in the building deal with these terror dealing with these terrorists who are he's knocking off one or sometimes two or three at a time. But you've also got the second movie, which is all the, the conversations, all the radio conversations. And like at that point, the movie very much becomes sort of this back and forth, sort of this cat and mouse. Uh, the, the SWAT team shows up. The cops try to go in. They're very dumb about it. They go through a glass door. And, of course, they all get shot. No, not in, not, not killed, but yeah, injured. They're trying to, like, pick the lock. Or yeah, and the SWAT guy is, send in the car. Send in the car. Yeah. And it's this armored car. And they have, the terrorists have serious anti-tank rockets. And that's when, in order to stop, like he says, because they, they blow up the, the, the armored car. And Hans Gruber says, do it again. And, you know, John's like, you made your point. Like, thank you. Do it again. And so he, that's when he uses the C4 he has to try and shake up the terrorists so they'll stop. You know, trying to blow these cops up. Blow these cops the, up. The, the funny thing about that scene, I think, is um, we've seen, so the beginning of the movie when the data geek, the black guy. And yeah, the, Theo. And, yeah. and the guy that ends up becoming the security guard there. They get out of their car and they walk right through the doors mm -hmm. from, from the roadway. Yeah. When Al parks his police car there, he gets out of his but car and walks right through the doorway. No, no, no he doesn't. Um, and you see that right at the beginning where Carl walks up to the doors, looks around. Sorry, Hans. Alan Rickman's character looks up and he swipes that card. It goes red. Then he throws it at the, the, the terrorist pretending to be the security guard. They lock down the tower. Oh yeah, no, no, no. I know, but they're that's they're, why that's what, why Al point, has to be let in by the security guard later on. Right, but the point I'm making is why did they try to run this APC up all those stairs? Why well, did they the just idea, drive right up to the glass? Well, that's the point. He's going up the stairs to go through the front door. I think that's what's yeah, happening. But I thought the cars were right at the front door. Like it just seemed really odd. No, they're not. He's, he's I think oh. he's sort of going up a side road to yeah. Because there's clearly more than one entrance to this place. And they're trying to ram through one. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, it's stupid. Like what? Like I said, what were they going to do with that vehicle? Like, yeah. What was the plan? And then McLean ends up being the hero and saves all the idiots again. And, and blows up half the goddamn building. Blows he, up he, half the building. Yeah. So he blows up all. He bl he blows up a, an entire floor with this with this <laughs> block of C four. Oh my, that's a lot of that's a lot of explosive. Yeah. Entire, like an entire block of C four would take down some buildings. I mean, they apparently they they didn't cheap out on the structure, just the windows. Right. Uh, and what happens after they blow everyone up? Is when oh yeah, Ellis gets involved again. He's now, he's he's gone for a second run of coke now, and he's he ready tried, to go. He's going to negotiate. He's going to negotiate. I negotiate million dollar deals for breakfast. Yeah, I can deal with this Euro trash. It's like, and then we learn not only is he's a cokehead douchebag, he's a an Islamophobe and a, an anti semite. Maybe your problems with the camel jockeys or the Hebes. <laughs> okay, Ellis. Thanks, champ. Yeah, it's uh, it's like. Go bullet. So he you know. tells them that it's John, but his buddy from forever yeah. ago, John so, McClane. So, yeah, so he doesn't give up, give him credit, he doesn't give up Holly. Right. He tries to negotiate John into giving up the, uh, what do you call it, the uh, detonators, and that goes exactly as well as everyone in the audience is hoping for, which is to say that Hans pulls out the gun in that pan, you know, that overly dramatic twists it with his wrist, like almost like he's modeling it for, you know, TV. You know, I never thought I'd be rooting for the terrorists in a movie, but here it's like, go terrorists! Yeah, feel free. There's got to have one bullet with his name yeah, on it. Yeah, and so I'm happy. He puts um, one through his head. Yeah. Yeah, that, that solved his problem. Yeah. And then McLean ends up going up to the roof for some reason. Is that now? Yeah, well, yeah. He Well, remember, the Dwayne says, oh, why don't you just sit this out? You're obviously, you know, this guy's death is your fault, and and McLean just realizes, you know, what a 
a bad idea this whole thing was. And have, have we met Clay yet? No, we haven't. No, no. no haven't. Yeah, and then the FBI say, get us the gunships, and we don't want them to look like gunships. So they're going to go in from the roof right. now, and, which and, is and, where and, they're going to move all the people to to yeah. get rid of them. And, and we go, there's a quick cut back to the, <clears throat> to the news where they've brought in some guy who's an expert in hostages. And again, it's more bullshit. Like, again, the, from none Helsinki. of the... From Sweden. Hel- yeah. Helsinki, Sweden. And, and the, the author just sort of looks at him, Finland. And it, again, it's look how incompetent these, yeah. these media people are. And it's, they do the same thing in, in uh, Die Hard 2. Die Harder or whatever it's called. And then there's Die Hard 3, Die Harderist. Harder. But, uh, yeah. Dumb and Dumber. Uh, dumb and Dumberer, yeah. Um, <laughs> The, all of the the authorities, even in the second one, it's the same thing. The the, the cops at the uh, at the Washington airport, oh, the administrator, yeah. they're all incompetent. No one knows anything but John McClane. Well, no and and smart. the black radar guy at uh, yeah, the engineer, the engineer. The engineer. Radar guy, it's yeah. always the two guys on the ground who know everything, yeah. and everyone else is an idiot. And and yeah, it doesn't impress me. Yeah, um, there's no there's no real need for it. I mean, yeah. people don't have to be incompetent. I I realize that to make. John McClane, this action hero. Everyone, everyone has, has to be incompetent yeah. because if everyone else is an action hero, then it's going to take away from how competent John McClane is. Yeah, he's not the he's he's the he's the cowboy. He's, he's just another guy that does what he does for work. So. Yeah, exactly. And this is when Hans goes looking to inspect the roof because, of course, we re- I mean, of course we've seen it at this point that they've actually put a ton of C four on the roof, though we don't know why. Right, and, and sets- that's what they need the detonators for. Yeah. Yeah, because C four, you could set it on fire; it won't explode. You need an electrical charge. Right, that's what the detonators are for. Uh, that's why C4 is popular because it's really safe to use. I mean, not that I'd be playing baseball with it, but you know. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so so Hans goes looking, you know, to make sure everything's still in place, and he sets his gun down and walks around a corner and bumps into McLean and pretends he does a pretty good American accent, actually. Hi there. How you doing? Oh, please God, no! You're one of them, aren't you? You're one of them. No, no. Don't kill me, please. No, please. Don't kill me. Don't kill me, please. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Relax. And he says, well, what's your name? Because the way they're standing, Hans, pretending to be this guy, Bill Clay, doesn't see that there's a uh, a personnel directory where John can see it. And he says, my name's Bill Clay. And we look, and there is a W. Clay on the list. So I get it. The movie's supposed to show you, look how Hans screws up by giving you a name that's not there. But his name is there. Yeah, and I, I think I, I think we interpreted that differently. I think we I, I interpreted that when you do discovery or when you do an investigation, mm-hmm. you're going to ask multiple questions yeah. because people have cover. So it, just because he had the answer to that question, a cop, people that are always judging people, maybe yeah. have more, and and something's rubbing John the wrong way right from the get go. So you on think this? this is to lull the audience into a sense of security? Yeah, a I false think, sense of security. Yeah, I think it is. I think it's to set up the fact that John's a little smarter than the audience, and John's not going to load the gun he hands him. So despite the fact that he's confirmed, that yeah, he's he like, like give him a good. Oh, name. so the guy gave me a good name, but I still don't quite trust him yet. So I'm going to give him a gun without so he's any ahead bullets. Of the audience. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, yeah. it's it's quite possible that what is it? It's screwing with the audience a little yeah. bit. That's not usually John McTiernan's thing, messing with the audience, right? But clearly here. He it does. was my interpretation of and, it. And that's quite possible. Yeah. Um, or it's a screw-up. It's hard to tell which. I, mean, I suppose I could email him, but he hasn't done a movie in 15 years. I can't help but think that he's... He might have nothing better to do than answer yeah. your email fair. Yeah, it's a little late, but yeah. yeah. And like, he's going to... He's gonna, I'm going to get some some angry tweet. What are, you, what are you bothering me for, you asshole? Maybe we'll have a new person listening to our podcast. Somehow I doubt that, but okay. That was the second movie we've done of his. Um, 
And we're, we, we, we keep just tell them we're a fan. Make sure you put in there we're a yeah. fan. Well, and we're, we want to do Hunt for Red October. We've Can been you send to... us a lock of hair and a baggie too, please? No. <laughs> <laughs> we already have one fan like that. We don't need more. Thank you. We'll uh, cut that out. Head and freezer, but, yeah. But kind of a good, you know, it... it but it, it doesn't go on too long. No, and it, it shows Hans what McLean looks like, which ends up tying back into the pitcher. Yeah, because as soon as he gives him the gun, he gives him his pistol. With yeah, no, and he turns around and, and he, walks away. And immediately Hans starts talking into his, his walkie-talkie, his radio, in German, and holds the gun. And, he, of course, he squeezes the trigger and there's nothing in it. And he says, you think I'm stupid giving you a loaded gun? And he says, you were saying. And, of course, at that exact moment, the uh, elevator. the elevator opens and two guys with guns come out. And one of them, I think, gets it right away. Yeah, coming. The one guy gets off the elevator shooting, and, and then, the other guy, yeah, the, yeah. the other guy takes and it, and then right because it's Carl and someone else. Because this is where they do all the glass, isn't it? Yeah, and he says he's, he's not wearing guy. shoes, right? And, and so shoot the glass. Yeah, and he ends up getting away through this glass floor and shoes up his feet. But the well, most important well, part, tile here floor covered in glass, is he yeah. forgets to take the detonators with him in his well, time. Drunk, yeah, but his hundred mag, his hundred round magazine is he just firing and firing yeah. and firing and firing. Changes and mags and then only has four rounds in the next mag. Damn it! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was all in that. I first need gun. another machine gun. Ho, yeah, ho, it's ho. it's 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 so much sustained fire. Even at one point, even John McClane goes, Jesus! Like it's. It's a little much. Like I get it. You you know you want to make things intense and a little more and a little more and a little more and then you get to the crescendo and then ah the movie's over. Yeah. But this got to be a little much. Like seeing this in the theaters, that would have been like this scene where they you know this wild shootout where he says shoot the glass and I think that would have been a little rough on the ears. Yeah. Well, and the good news is by now his white tank top is totally black with some blood mixed. It's in. been blacks for forever. You said right away it was almost black. right yeah. away. Yeah. Yeah. Like this guy, first off, he sweats like a goddamn pig. Uh, <laughs> he's covered in blood and sweat. But later in the movie, he's able to tape something to his bare back because sure, maybe he stapled it on. They just didn't show that part. Well, he's so hardcore, it's hard to tell. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Yeah. So he drags himself out of this firefight, and he is really really bleeding that's yeah. pretty impressive and then yeah the fbi shows up and it's two guys one black one white both named johnson yeah i guess says i'm agent johnson that special agent johnson no relation that's you gotta admit that's cute that's a funny yeah that's yeah, a no relation one well, one's, yeah. one's black one's but, white what did and, you think and but, the one thing that they hinted funny. at several times during the movie is the police were always going to be involved in their plot because they made a note at the beginning of the movie that the last lock is up to you you better be right yeah, and at one point it's an electromagnetic yeah. lock yeah because remember when the cops show up early he says this is just inconvenient timing yeah. we knew the police would come and, and we need them yeah. We don't realize why until we know that the FBI, they will eventually take over because they do for terrorists. If they think it's terrorism, the FBI immediately gets involved. Yeah, just like if it was a playbook. terrorist thing here, it would be RC. Yeah, and their playbook is... Um, cut the power. Cut the power. Just like if there were a terrorist attack in Calgary, the RCMP would show up. They would send people. Right. And the Calgary police would deal with it because they have the personnel. But the RCMP would also be involved. Same thing, yeah. And the FBI playbook is turn off the power. And apparently they brought the guy in from the Burbs to do it. Yeah, so after Walt. They, I, no, yeah, Walt. Walt in this movie, not Walt in Birds. Not in Walt. What was he in the last one? The neighbor. The neighbor, yeah. The psycho neighbor who shoots, who's trying to shoot birds and shoots everything else <laughs> instead. So, yeah. So, after he gets out of jail for blowing up uh, the Klopex house, uh, apparently he goes to work for uh, Los Angeles Power Co- Company. And they they unlock, the, or they turn off the power, which unlocks the vault. And we get access to the bearer bonds and a lot of really cool art. Yeah, and a samurai. A samurai armor. armor There's yeah. some art in there. Uh, <clears throat> a few naked statues, so there's a little more uh, '80s boobs. We also missed yeah. the pinup girl. Oh yeah, in the uh, elevator in room. The, in the in the yeah, somewhere, somewhere one of the floors under construction. Yeah, 
So what happened? Oh, yeah. And then in the meantime, the douchebag reporter forces himself into uh, Holly Gennaro's house. He does that by threatening to call INS, what is now called ICE. called ICE now, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Immigration. Yeah, immigration. Uh, Immigration and naturalization service. That's what the INS stands for. Now it's ICE. He says, I'm going to call the INS on you. And so the, the, the housekeeper lets him in. And again, that is the setup for... Yeah, because he for, interviews for Hans, the kids. I just want mommy and daddy. Yeah, for Hans to realize, you know, the connection between Holly and, and John. Because now he's seen John. And he, of course, he's been dealing with Holly. And sure, okay, whatever. And is this the fight with... Yeah. And then you get the fight where, where Carl, who, of course, his brother was the first one to get killed. You know, now I have a machine gun. Ho, ho, ho. Because th- this is where McLean was like, why was he on the roof? Why was... Right, he goes up to check. Hans up there. So he goes up to see, and this is where he sees that the entire roof is... Yeah, and, and Carl's waiting for him. And then there's a fight. And this is where we've discovered <clears throat> that um, Carl's head is apparently made of stainless steel. He's the fucking Terminator. Iron, yeah. Because he gets his head pounded so many times. I'm not sure if you've ever been struck in the head. A few times. I've been struck in the head. I got, I got a, I took a, I was walking at work in a, and they were building a building next door and that wall panel struck me in the head. I had a concussion. It was pretty cool. I've also been punched in the head once. I was seeing stars. If I punched you in the head 10 times and then banged it into some metal pipes, I am fairly certain, Remy, you're not getting up. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't want to. <laughs> and if you are, to. you have to choose which of the three of you want to punch. Sounds like a good Mythbusters. <laughs> how many how many hits in the head can you take? Yeah. Today we brought in Raimi. Yeah. yeah we no. hope he remembers who his wife is by the time we're finished here. Yeah. If not, well, what are you going to do? He has good health insurance. But yeah, it's and it's this wild fight. And again, it's it's one of these the, the typical eighties and nineties action film trope where these guys take enormous amounts of yeah, and one guy's winning and then the next guy's winning winning, and and then then the hero wins and yeah the hero wins by wrapping a chain around his neck and hanging him but as we noticed the guy's got clearly uh carl under his sweater has a uh, like a rig around his shoulder and mclean accidentally instead of choking him ties into his rigging so he ends up not actually choking him they did it for other than that one those two shots of him being pushed along the rail because that's the whole idea. Yeah. Some sort of like some sort of thing where you move heavy equipment and sort of or rail empty or oil barrels in a yeah. Well, he gets professional beat, building. Yeah, he gets beat about. But with that those might be two, what they're moving with the with those with the, police the, with, with the police <laughs> system in the crane. Yeah, but he's hanging from that, so he's quote unquote dead. What's next? They go up to the roof, and he realizes the roof's wired, so he's going to get all the people off. Right, the roof. and he starts firing. In the meantime, the FBI agents have come along, and there's like the one good scene between them. Dickhead. As I pointed out, this is 1988. You think a senior FBI agent, not like an administrator, but an agent, would have been, could very well have been in Vietnam. Like yep. We often forget that in that era, a lot of these guys wound up in the FBI. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, and then the other part too, this is where um, the reason that they have the roof wired was, this is where the plot of the yeah, plan this for Hans's plan was, yeah. blow up the roof, kill everybody. Yeah. And we learned that because now he's in the, he's helping pack up the bearer bonds and they drag Holly along. Yeah. And he explains, like, if you steal 600 bucks, they'll let you go. If you steal 600 million, they will find you, but not if they think we're dead. We're dead, yeah. Yeah. So the idea is put everyone on the roof. Between the the rubble, like they're gonna blow up the roof. Between the destruction of the building and all those bodies, it'll take them a month to realize that the, the terrorists are not dead. But 
you know, John McClane is up there firing wildly, chases them off the roof. They shoot at him. He does the stupidest thing ever. Ties, uh, but again, fire hose around his waist. But him, yeah, and jumps off the building just as it's exploding. And that's an iconic scene. Yeah. An iconic shot of him. I think it's on the cover. Um, do you have it open on IMDb? Uh, the picture is always very standard. Standard cover is this. Oh, which, yeah. Which, yes, right. is the explosion. But not him jumping off yeah, the building. But the standard yeah. picture is sort of him looking up towards the roof. And, you know, he shoots the glass and is able to fly break, through. Yeah, it breaks. The fire hose breaks as he... Of course, as he's breaks falling. ...breaks into the floor that he's on, which happens to be the floor everyone else is on, which yeah. is good. So. Well, it may not be. Maybe it's a floor down or a floor up. He knows where he's going. Because remember, oh, yeah, when he, he gets to the roof, the water he, talks the, he talks to the, uh, the secretary, the pregnant one, and says, where is he? She took him to the vault. Where's the vault? It's on the 30th floor. So right. he knows where he's going. That's right, yeah. And this is where we learn that they, for Christmas wrapping, are using the most impressive tape ever. Like, I'm afraid if his, if his skin had been dry when he applied that, it, the skin might have come oh, yeah, off as yeah. he removed the tape. Yeah. Because he tapes the pistol to the, like, between his shoulder blades. And he is covered at this point in thick layer of sweat and blood. blood and, and it's still, and it's still able to hold. A metal and polycarbonate, I think it's polycarbonate fiber pistol, you know, Beretta M9 in place between his shoulders. First off, how did he tape it that well reaching over his shoulders? Like, that's an impressive tape job. Yeah. But I guess when you have the props people and the makeup people yeah, to search you out, you're And good. then we meet one of two people that ends up living through this. Yeah, he, he punches, punches a guy in the face. And who knocks him, knocks out. him out. And then it's just him and, uh, it's just him and Hans and the, the Texan terrorist who's been playing, who's been pretending security to be a security guard. guard. Uh, we also missed that throughout all this time, this limo driver's been hiding in the basement. Oh, party. Listen, uh, listening to the music party. on the no phone. no idea until he turns on the TV and realizes he's in the middle of a, uh, of a terrorist incident. I just love how earlier in the film, after the shooting, uh, John McClane says, I hope he heard the gunshots from 30 floors down. Really? That's what you thought? <laughs> no. But, yeah, yeah he's knocked out Theo. Because Theo, now that he's broken yeah. into the vault, is dressed is in, an as, uh, in an ambulance. And he gets punched out by Argyle. And so he's gone. So he'll survive. And now the guy who gets decked in the vault will survive. And it ends with, you know, the, the security guard getting shot by the thing that's taped. And... The second shot he shoots Hans with, who then falls out a window and tries to drag Holly with him and holds on to his, uh, the Rolex. Her, her Rolex, which again, another, same with the scrunching of the feet at the beginning and the, did you get that? Remember when the, when the building explodes because of John, the uh, reporter says, tell oh, me you got that. Yeah. And then he gets punched at the end and said, yeah, did you get that? There are all these callbacks, and the Rolex is the best of them all. Yeah, so it's a Rolex. Yes, it is. Let me know. Let me, let me unclasp that for yeah, you. Yeah, and when they did that, it's funny because then the deputy chief there says, "I hope that's not a terrorist." Yeah, oh, no, <laughs> I hope that's not a hostage. Or yeah. Hostage, yeah. yeah. But this, you know, it's funny because we did uh, we just did Temple of Doom, and we talked about at the end of the movie when Willie and Indiana Jones are about to kiss, and they flinch. And then the water from the elephant hits them because they knew they were about to get doused with water by stagehands. They should have redone that shot. Here, there's the famous shot of Alan Rickman, you know, when the, when the, when the Rolex uh, gets unclipped and he falls. They didn't tell Alan Rickman they were going to do it. Instead of going three, two, one drop, they went three, drop. Yeah. And he was surprised. And you could see that in his face that he is surprised. Same with Alien when the chestburster scene. Remember I told you the only oh, one? Yeah. None of the other actors knew what was about to happen. <laughs> so the screaming is all the actors. Uh, totally breaking character. And it works here. It works really, really yeah, well. Yeah, it was really good. And a, a super iconic scene to the show as well. So, yeah. And, and then earlier in the movie when uh, 
John McClane and Al were making friends. Al's talking about, I'm a sergeant now because... I shot a kid. Shot I, a kid. I could never draw my gun again. Yeah, that's another build-up. Made that's mistakes. Right. Yeah, yeah, another... So. And, then, and then when they finally meet in the plaza, because now everything's done, we learn that uh, Carl somehow untied himself from the, ne- from the chain around Got his, his gun back. Got his gun back, which was, by the way, on the roof. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, and the roof is... Didn't explode. Didn't explode, So yeah. he got it back before. Well, no, well, no, the roof exploded and took out the, the FBI agents. But and not they, his guns. Nurse says, God, we're going to need some more FBI yeah. guys, huh? Yeah. But, uh, yeah, he somehow found his gun again. And who saves the day? Urkel's dad. And he gets Al. out of the body bag. Climbs out of the body, the body bag, bag to shoot at everybody. And I think Al. it's cool. I think it's cool that they made a point of putting the gun in the body bag with him. Oh, yeah. Or maybe it was just that he was hidden under like a, a blanket yeah, or under another be, body or who, who knows. knows yeah but. and so al gets to be the good guy and blows another guy away and as we've learned machine guns don't make a lot of noise but pistols are freaking hand cannons yeah and then argyle shows up because he breaks, yeah, he oh, breaks. the media first. Media, media guy. And he punches, yeah, and, punches and Holly punches this douche Because how dare you interview my kids. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, and then Argyle shows up and they drive off. And that's the film. Yeah. And it's like, it's still a good film. I enjoy it. But there are a lot of problems with this film. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. this is not one that's going to win or won any awards. That's for sure. Made a lot of money. So that's good. Yeah. Did make a um, lot of money. Yeah. And I, I think it's interesting. Um, I know the next thing we usually talk about, did it hold up? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I I think part of Die Hard's problem is it's on TV too much. So this isn't one that I'm going to say, oh, let's do a Die Hard night and watch all the Die Hard movies. I own them all, and I've done that in the past, but it's on so much that I might watch, I might do a Die Hard weekend with my, I'll do it with my kid, girls are older for sure. Yeah, not when they're four. Not really. when they're three and one, <laughs> uh, but I'll do that for sure. Well, um, the, the, the one-year-old will just be bored. <laughs> and, yeah, and it's one that if it's on TV... I'll probably flip to it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I don't, you know, five years ago, I probably did a Die Hard trilogy the every trilogy. couple of years. Really? And now we just, we don't. There's so many good movies out there, I guess. It, it's a, it, it is a very good action movie. Oh, yes. It very, is. very good. I think it holds up. Yeah, I, I, I think mean, so too. What it does well, it does well. It has always done it. it what it does poorly, the, the gun, you know, the fingers on the trigger and clumsy shit like that. It's like, whatever, it's an 80s film. Yeah. I expect different things from action films. Like, my favorite action film in terms of gunplay is um, John Wick. That movie could never have been shown in the 80s. It would have been just over oh, the yeah, top violent. Yeah. They, it would have been restricted or uh, rated X. I know we think of X as porn, but it's not. It's just what's after R. Right. Um, like RoboCop, had they not cut a few scenes out of it, would have been rated X, which would have destroyed the film. So he had to cut the most violent. Can you imagine a movie like that stuff that was too violent? Yeah. But yeah. yeah. But as far as – like, if you were to say, give me uh, three you know, 80s action films, I would say probably Terminator, Predator, and this. Yeah, that's – I mean, that's a great list. And a lot of the movies we've done and a lot of 80s movies were geared towards that – action or that adventure movie because when we were kids the video games didn't really we were out creating our own adventure so it was a lot easier it was a a lot easier for us to go and connect to those adventure movies because what were we doing when we were out at the park playing we were making up our own adventure this isn't an adventure movie the way like an indie film is like it's a straight up gun no it is and that's what i'm saying is this is a great action movie and they they didn't always connect with action movies for me in the 80s Commando being a good example <laughs> of an action movie that just doesn't work um, no. now. But it did yeah, at the time. This one still does. And I, I think yeah. kids today would watch this movie and probably do watch this movie and say, wow, this is a 
Yeah, good, it's a good action. But, it, movie. but look, this this movie earned its restricted. I wouldn't be showing this to a kid who was seven. No, of eight. course not. I'd be saying, okay, you're twelve. Okay, maybe, maybe fifteen. Yeah. Well, even twelve. Like, well, let's be honest. By the yeah. time it gets gets into junior high, whatever, they're already cussing like uh, truckers. So. Yeah. So um, this is not a kids' film. Like, it earns its R rating, but it is great for what it is. Mm-hmm. It is not pretentious. It doesn't pretend to be something it's not. Yeah, true. Uh, but I appreciate that. And so, yeah, I I really I really enjoy it. So. Uh, so let's go uh, have lunch at a nice tall office tower. Sure. Barefoot. Yeah. Uh, I'll call my friend Hans. Okay. All right. And there it is. Good work. <laughs> 